Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Tetris is renowned the world over as one of the best-selling games of all time. Although it's kind of cheating to say that Tetris is the best-selling game, because Tetris has kind of transcended itself. I wouldn't exactly call Tetris a franchise, but there have been a lot of different versions of the game released, with new bells and whistles each time. Or sometimes it's just straight-up Tetris. I don't know. There's no real need to describe what Tetris is, because everyone knows what Tetris is. It's right up there with Pac-Man. You, you've seen Tetris, you know Tetris. Everyone knows Tetris. It's like the Superman of video games. Like, every, everyone knows what Superman is. Even people who don't like or play video games could probably recognize Tetris. The history of Tetris gets a little weird. A lot of it can be found online, like everything else, but... I'll give a very simplified summary of the whole thing. You may or may not know that it was created by a Russian man named Alexei Pajitnov in the mid-80s. He was very skilled with computers in his spare time. He liked making games and puzzles. He once bought a set of pentominoes. It didn't... and these were toy blocks, puzzles that came in five block pieces, I think. Each piece had about five blocks to them, or something along those lines. It didn't take long for Pajitnov to conceptualize a computerized version of the game, but his game ended up having four squares on each piece instead of five, so we go from pentominoes, featuring the penta prefix for five, we go to tetraminoes, which features the tetra prefix for four. And so Tetris was born. That's right, that's why it's called Tetris. He worked with a friend to iron out some of the kinks, and then went on to show all his computer-working friends. And soon Tetris was a hit in the Moscow computer scene, which is really superlative when you phrase it like that. It wouldn't be superlative for long, though, because Tetris would eventually take the world by storm. Yeah, it started out with his computer company in Moscow. He was working for them at the time, and he showed them Tetris, and even he talked to his superiors about finding a way to license the game, and he got the right people to start looking into it. People from other companies in other countries eventually had a chance to play Tetris, and they all got addicted to it. One of the officials at Spectrum Holobytes, which is a company in Europe, they actually had to have the machine unplugged so that the guy would stop playing Tetris and come to dinner. He was playing for like four hours. Everyone who's been playing Tetris so far just kept getting hooked on it. Even Pajitnov himself, I think it might have been reported that he had a bit of trouble developing it after a while because he just started playing it too much. Robert Stein of a company in London called Andromeda was responsible for the go-between of the Russians and the Europeans. He did business with Hungarian companies, so he was a little used to this kind of thing. 
He made a deal with the Russian computer company, which didn't end with explicit consent to release the game, because they weren't really experienced in selling computer programs like this before. But Stein took it as explicit consent. He had essentially started to sell the rights to something he didn't own, and the property was catching on like wildfire. Stein did eventually get the rights for Tetris, but only to PC versions of Tetris, which is the original version. Then at one point, the founder of Bulletproof Software was enchanted by the game as well, and showed it to some of his friends at Nintendo. And sadly, no, the founder of Bulletproof Software is not actually 50 Cent. We haven't seen him for about 30 BitCast episodes now. Go go listen to that one if you want to hear me talk about 50 Cent again. I, I, I still can't believe I actually did that episode. But no, the, the man I'm talking about is Hank Rogers. He was raised, or at least educated, in America. I think he's actually from the Netherlands. He got the rights for Tetris to appear on Japanese home consoles. In trying to secure rights for handheld versions of Tetris, Rogers eventually went past Stein, personally secured a detail from the developers in Moscow, and even formed a bit of a friendship with some of them. And at that point, that's when Rogers learned that the Russian folks hadn't ever licensed anything but the PC versions. Those home console rights were acquired through Atari, which was just one link in the chain of people leading back to Stein. After a period of legal battles, Nintendo walked away with home console rights to Tetris. Pajitnov, the creator, did not see any money for any of this, because it was made as a company project, so his workplace was making all the money. But he did form a friendship with Hank Rogers, as I said before, and he even moved out of Russia after a time. He got the trademark for Tetris, bought the IP from his old company, and finally started getting royalties around the mid-90s. He and Rogers formed the Tetris Company, and they're still making and overseeing Tetris games to this day. There were Nintendo Tetris games and Sega Tetris games. And they were kind of in competition with each other, but Nintendo were the ones with the rights, so Nintendo ended up being the dominant one in that race after all. Much like most of their endeavors against Sega. And that is the beginning of Tetris. It's one of, if not the most ubiquitous games of all time, and it has a really weird hot potato story with how it got licensed and everything. Tetris is so all-consuming that any electrical device you can think of, it can play Tetris. I kid you not, someone made a version of Tetris on a soldering iron. Imagine if Skyrim could do that. Eat your heart out, Todd Howard. Skyrim on your soldering iron. Ridiculous. I thought the guy who put a Nintendo Wii in an Altoid Mint container was crazy. Tetris has stayed the same over time, but tweaks to the format have been added, such as the Ghost piece, which is uh, kind of a translucent piece, or maybe even transparent, but it's kind of a 
well, ghostly holographic piece that shows where your current piece is going to land. Also, the ability to save a falling piece in your pocket and use it later on. Now, there are a lot of regulations for Tetris games, too, that have been kept over time. The blocks absolutely have to appear to certain mandates, namely their color coordination and some of their behavior, and the random piece generator. A lot of stylistic choices have to be maintained, too, so don't expect a new Tetris title to resemble an old one too much. And once a new Tetris game comes out, the old ones can't be made anymore. Tetris Grandmaster, very popular version of Tetris, that was unfortunately given the axe because it didn't meet official Tetris guidelines. Meanwhile, at some point, Ubisoft spit out a Tetris game of their own, and it did meet the guidelines, and that's about all it did right. The game is considered to be very weak in a lot of ways, but the fact that it adhered to the guidelines was good enough for the Tetris company. That got them some that got them some flack from some of the fans. Going back to that random number generator, whatever it is, the random piece generator, it's not actually too random. It's supposed to cycle through seven types of pieces, I think. And it will just do different permutations. So the longest you have to wait for a piece you need is, I think, maybe 13 new pieces. Something along those lines. It's not truly random, but Pajitnov went out of his way to make sure that it was all formulaic and fair and square. <laughs> square. Learning all this myself about the way Tetris has been consistent over time and all the mandates and how one Tetris game is supposed to replace the next, I start to get the impression that new Tetris games aren't so much sequels as they're Pajitnov and the company going, okay, here's the old game, now it's like this, it's this now. Like some kind of twist on the Street Fighter II phenomenon. In any case, I guess I can see why Tetris would be considered by record books to be the same game every time at that point. Which is fine by me, because I don't know if I want to live in a world where Minecraft is actually the best-selling video game of all time. Except I already do. It's actually outsold Tetris at some point this year. Shucks. Huh. Huh. Tetris, Tetris and Minecraft, and Minecraft are, are the top, top two games, games both, both heavily involve blocks. blocks. So, so if I were to make, make my own video game, game the, the secret to success would obviously be to make the entire game cubicle. Genius! Genius! Not only is Tetris the grandfather of the puzzle game genre, but it's responsible for much of the Game Boy's early success. And Nintendo are at the forefront of portable gaming. So it's not too crazy to think that Tetris indirectly allowed for the creation of all our handhelds up to and including the Nintendo Switch. Heck, who knows, maybe mobile games on our cell phones wouldn't be a thing in the timeline without Tetris. Whether that's for the better is up to you. And in the spirit of mobile games, a lot of recent Tetris games are kind of pay-to-win. Basic functions like the preview of the next piece to fall, or even better controls, 
are locked behind paywalls. That sounds pretty scummy. I'm not going to lie about that. It's like when the top dog knows they're on top and flaunt it. Tetris is already a multi-million brand. I think it could have survived without the extra pocket change to enhance the controls. While you don't strictly need to pay, the only other recourse is to play the game under these lackluster conditions for several hours. Being the fake gamer I have, I've only really played one Tetris title, and that was as recently as 2019. Yep, I'm talking about Tetris 99, colloquially known, colloquially colloquially known as Tetris Battle Royale. So, it's up there with uh, Fortnite and Player Unknown Battleground and all that fun stuff. And it's a surprisingly solid crossover of ideas. Leave it to Tetris to dominate a new genre like that. I played a few rounds of Tetris 99 and much like the European businessmen of the 80s, I was hooked right away. Not so hooked that I sunk the rest of my day into the game, but I could definitely see why it captivated so many people's hearts and minds all over the world. I'd been meaning to replay it sometime, but I keep getting distracted with other games. I think I had two dedicated Tetris 99 sessions, and the highest ranking I ever got was 24th or 25th place out of 99. The ebb and flow of the game is crazy. You're up against 98 random opponents, making it, you know, 99. There's no telling what's going to happen, because you can target different people based on different qualifications throughout the game. You can crack the top 10 in your first run, and then you can be the third one to lose out of all 99 in the next. And then you can score somewhere in the middle on the third game. And unsurprisingly, Tetris 99 is the reason why I waited until the 99th bitcast to discuss Tetris. I think, I don't know if they're still doing this, but Tetris 99 had some kind of promotional event with Fire Emblem Three Houses. I don't really know what that was all about, because I think I still didn't have the game when it was announced, and I didn't want to be spoiled on anything. I know Tetris isn't going to spoil Fire Emblem for me, but I, I just kind of get like that with spoilers. I think, eh, better stay away from anything with the Fire Emblem name. Man, it's crazy. Fire Emblem has come so far that now it's allied with Tetris. It's actually kind of an honor for Fire Emblem when you think about it. If you go back to some of the Nintendo Tetris games, they had those little intermissions with Mario and the gang in between levels, and Samus and Pit, and their, their little sprites would hop around or something in between Tetris rounds. It took about a couple decades, maybe three, but now Fire Emblem has joined in that little act. Can't think of a word because it's very late at night. Being the iconic game that Tetris is, it makes sense that a lot of other aspects of Tetris are iconic too, namely the music. There are a few different pieces of music in the original Tetris game, but Bar none, the most recognized Tetris theme is the Type A theme, known as, oh, heaven help me, Korobeniki. I, I, I so butchered that. 
You can tell I'm not Russian. I don't even have to describe what the Type A theme sounds like. It's the Tetris song in the hearts and minds of many. You know, it's that one. I shouldn't even have to... I don't have to demonstrate it, do I? No, no, no. Everyone knows the Tetris theme. There's even a remix of the song in Super Smash Bros. Brawl for crying out loud. Tetris, I believe it's considered to be part of the Nintendo family by a lot of the older generations. That iconic music was created by Nintendo, hence the Brawl arrangement, and a lot of early Tetris games on Nintendo consoles featured Nintendo characters, like I was getting into in that whole Fire Emblem section. And one of the most legendary editions of Tetris would be the original Game Boy version. I said before that Tetris was a large part of the Game Boy's success. This was still before Pokemon came out. So, Pokemon, pay your respects. Tetris is here. Suddenly I remember back in the Super Smash Bros. Brawl days, and honestly, it, a little, it worries me a little bit how that game has defined so much of my preteen life. People on GameFAQs were championing the L piece as the strongest of the Tetris pieces, because it's shaped like a boot, so it could kick you. It beat Cloud, Strife, and Link in a popularity strength contest, I think. This was obviously a fad to celebrate the L piece. I don't think people were really excited for it. It's one of those meme picks, but I believe the L piece is one of the most consistently reliable Tetris blocks, offering a bit more versatility than even the fabled line piece. But that line piece is pretty highly regarded, very helpful in a lot of places. The the long piece, the eye block, the long boy, take your pick. All the tetrominoes have had many names. This piece is commonly looked to as the one that will get you out of a tight jam, in my experience. I usually save one in my pocket for a rainy day on the two times I've played Tetris 99. The 2x2 two two blocks are kind of a mixed bag for me, completely inflexible, but there aren't a lot of ways to screw up with them either. You know what you're getting... The dangerous pieces are the squiggly ones, the S and the Z-shaped pieces. Those are a bit trickier to manage. And if you played a round where these were the only pieces available to you, you would have no choice but to lose eventually, unlike all the other pieces. But again, the game is programmed to distribute pieces fairly, so there's no threat of that ever happening. There's also the T pieces, which provide a lot of opportunities due to having so many more sides, and they can be quickly spun into hard-to-reach gaps, and that's given a name called T-spinning. It's considered a really hard move to pull off in Tetris, but sometimes you're rewarded for it, sometimes you're not. People are a little mixed on whether or not you should be. It really gives you style points, though, and some efficiency. I'm not really into the T-piece myself. There, we had my impromptu Tetris piece rankings. I'm wondering if now I might have missed one. I'm just quickly going over them in my head. I, I might have actually missed one. I don't know. You forgot the backwards L piece, you idiot! Aside from Tetris 99, my only experience with falling block puzzle games is Kirby's Avalanche. 
That game and Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine are examples of licensed games in the series that would eventually be Puyo Puyo. Uh, I don't know if that's actually the name of it, but it's half of the crossover with Tetris called Puyo Puyo Tetris. I didn't play that game, but I've considered it every so often. It has a fun art style, at least. I think Puyo Puyo Tetris, Tetris 99, and Tetris Effect might be the modern Tetris games to keep an eye on at the moment, so if you don't have any of the previous Tetris games at your disposal, I think these should do nicely. Tetris 99 is also free, so long as you have the Nintendo Switches online, so go wild with that, you and your 98 Tetris-playing opponents. That's all I really have to say about Tetris. There's really not a whole lot to say about something that's so integral to gaming at large, because most of it's already been said. I can't give too much of a new spin on it. And despite its legacy, Tetris is a really simple game. There's not that much to say about it. If you like the BitCast, be sure to follow it on Twitter, and you'll see me making observations or dumb jokes or, on a particularly busy day, just kind of retweeting jokes that I want more people to see. Same as everyone else on that side, I guess. The show's Twitter has the same logo as the show's title here, which is the show's title, but the T in bit is replaced with a cross pad or directional pad, whatever you call it. I won't make the same mistake I made in the last episode. Next week's episode, the Big 100. Stick around and I'll talk about a very special game. I'll see you then. Listen to BidCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.